my mic's on. There we go. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. These are the words of God to us today. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Will you remain standing as we pray? Father in heaven, we gather here today as your body, your church, gathers all over the world. Here today in this local community, we worship you as a holy, true, and just God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible that speaks your voice to us. Lord, will you help us today to see truth, to live that truth out in love towards you and others. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your faithfulness to forgive. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You can be seated. So good to see you today. Only a few more weeks and we will be back in the worship center, so thank you for being flexible as we gather here in the Family Life Center and in the gym. They're making great progress and uh, excited to be able to move back there hopefully in the next few weeks. I keep saying two weeks just to keep pressing it and that frustrates Blake and Steve, but we're thankful for their work. They're working hard and many of you are volunteering to help out. And so, um, again, thank you to everybody that's putting in the time and effort. It's really cool each week as we get kind of move through transitions here at Sun River Church and we, we get used to the new norm to see new people. And if I haven't personally met you, thank you for carving out the time to come. I know there are new people watching every single week online and we hear stories about them coming and joining us. And, and we're moving through the book of 1 John. It's all about fellowship. The true church, the body of Jesus Christ, for those who believe and are followers of him, have authentic fellowship, community. The true church does not happen without koinonia, this Greek word that means fellowship. Church is not viewing. Church is not a spectator sport. Church is not a building. The church is not the sanctuary being renovated. We learned last week as we jump into this book that we are the church, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. This word koinonia Oftentimes, translated fellowship or community can be 
easily misunderstood, especially in our culture that's driven by individualism and consumerism. Those two things don't exist in the bride of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the church. That, those things do not exist. The gospel, which we're going to learn, completely annihilates individualism and consumerism in the heart of man. I introduced a book last week that I read by Henry Skogel, written in the 17th century, The Life of God in the Soul of the Church. I want to ex- in the Soul of Man, The Life of God in the Soul of Man. I want to expand that, rip the title off, and say that koinonia is the life of God in the soul of the church. I said last week that community, the church, is countercultural because it's intentionally intrusive. We don't like that. We don't like people invading our space. That's individualism. Community is intentionally intrusive. It is Christ-centered, not me-centered, and God's Word-centered. We're okay with God's word until it intrudes on our space. Doesn't work that way. Community is grace-driven. Man, we live in a world that does not have grace. You mess up, or you're on the opposite side. We're going to fight. That doesn't happen in the bride of Christ. It It does happen. It shouldn't happen. (laughs) Most people think fellowship is fellowship primarily in terms of certain activities. We have men's fellowship and women's fellowship and soup and pie socials and on and on and on. And, And don't get me wrong, we do those things here. Those aren't necessarily wrong, but these activities oftentimes provide an opportunity for fellowship, but they keep people from biblical koinonia because it's not natural or normal. Koinonia calls for a deeper level of relationship driven by love. We can share in this divine life that Henry Skogel talks about and that John is unpacking for us in the scriptures by the inspiration of God. We can have this divine life, but we have to go deeper. There has to be times of mourning together with those who mourn. There has to be times of rejoicing with those who rejoice. To share in the divine life is to exercise our spiritual gifts to edify each other, not to to take or to elevate ourselves. We share in the divine life, we share in biblical koinonia when we correct and encourage each other. We display and share this divine life when we love one another in many aspects. All of the one another's in the Bible become a display of koinonia within the church. Could you imagine 52 one another's? 52 love 
one another's. Could you imagine what would happen if we took those one another's seriously? Could you imagine what would happen if we actually loved one another? It is only by God's love that we can ever even imagine or fathom this. And it is very important that we understand and grasp that love for Christ is both the root and the fruit of koinonia. If we don't grasp this, love for God and love for others, at the level that we're commanded to do in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I'm going to explain over and over again, John is going to repeat this. If we don't grasp this, we're going to slip into activity-based fellowship. This notion that fellowship is driven by activities. So many churches are activity-driven. Sun River Church has fell into this. Every church has. In my short 25 years of full-time ministry, the churches in Phoenix, the churches in Denver, and the church here, we all succumb to this. If we're not careful to understand the love that is given to us through the gospel, we won't be able to fulfill koinonia. There's a program or a ministry on every day of the week in activity-driven churches. And people begin to measure their spiritual lives by how active they are, which by itself is not good, but that becomes the matrix for measurement. And if we're going to be honest, the most programmed churches, whether Sun River or anywhere else, the most programmed churches are oftentimes the most dis connected churches because we live in a culture that drives experience rich relationally poor that is not what john is teaching us in scripture members are to be active but they're supposed to share at a deeper level you see, the gospel changes everything about our love, our affections. The gospel changes our hearts way before it changes our behavior. And it's easy to become an active, domesticated Christian that's very active in a bunch of things, but miss the transformation the gospel brings in the heart. And we're going to see this mapped out in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, open them. It's so important. Each week, I encourage you to bring your Bible. At Son of a Church, we are a Bible-driven church, expository preaching. Doesn't mean we won't hit topics we do. My quick uh, explanation, this isn't my notes, so I'm going off my notes. This is dangerous. But my quick explanation for the difference between topical and expository, a topical sermon in and amongst itself will tell you what the Bible says. And there's a time for that. But there's a significant 
value between expositional preaching where we show you what the Bible says. I want you to see this for yourself. This isn't my words. I've said before, I heard from somebody else, I don't write the mail. I'm just delivering it. You need to open up and read the mail. So grab your Bibles, 1 John. We're learning, and we learned last week, that this level of koinonia that we're going to unpack in 1 John and see promotes full joy, that the joy you and I were created for doesn't happen outside of gospel-centered relationships. That this relationship in the church helps to prevent sin in our lives. It brings freedom. We're going to learn in chapter 2 that it protects us from false teachers. It gives us the ability, koinonia, these deep relationships, to hold each other accountable to the truth and not be deceived and around every corner in our lives. The enemy wants to deceive us and keep us from the truth. And then last, we're going to learn that in koinonia through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that we can have assurance of our salvation. But we have to understand, we have to begin to wrestle with this truth that the church does not happen without fellowship. And so this morning, we're going to be faced with the crucial question, what is the greatest barrier to true biblical fellowship? What keeps us from koinonia? Lies. Noisy lies from the side room that distract us. <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't in my notes. I don't know what they were saying out there, so that was a joke. Hypocrisy. Mistrust. Fellowship is impossible without truth. And so John is going to unpack the way we are to fellowship in honesty. This is a big deal. Truth about God. This is in your notes. Lights the way to fellowship. Truth about God begins to create light so we can see how we are supposed to interact in relationships. Have you ever noticed how people walk? I love to people watch. I'm not watching you, though. You don't watch me, I won't watch you. Last Friday, we were at Brock's 30th birthday. Happy birthday, Brock. His daughter, Harper... Is just learning to walk. She's a toddler, so she, she stumbles and she falls. She stumbles and she falls. She, and I watched her for about five minutes, and I'm, I counted 50 times. She is persistent. But I'm like, ooh, that had to hurt. Didn't even, she gets right back. Drops down to her knee, gets right back up. This is true, right, Brock and Lisa? And she is persistent. She goes, and she's learning to walk. Ashley came up, and she's pregnant. She walks different. You notice how teenagers walk? Zach had some friends over last night. And Zach pretty much walks normal until the girl comes in and is like... <laughs> you notice that? It's hilarious. I just watched. It's funny. You notice how adults walk? 
We all have a walk. You see, the Bible uses this phrase on how we walk to illustrate how we live our lives visually before they were called Christians in the Bible. They were called people of the way. The Apostle Paul stands before the government and he talks about persecuting, not Christians, he says people of the way. They had a specific way they walked through life that was contrary to everybody else and Paul hated them for it until he became one. Until the gospel changed his love for himself and even his false love for God because that's why he was persecuting Christians. He thought he loved God when he really didn't. It was just religious activity. And then his heart is transformed and he becomes, Acts 9, a person of the way. How do you walk in fellowship? Four steps that are unpacked for us. The first one has to do with this step into truth, this walking in the truth of who God is. We began to talk about this last week, and again, John has this way of writing in circles. He's going to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again, so um, you're going to get a good idea of what First John is all about. That first step is walking in truth. He says this, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him. Who's that? Jesus. This is what he's heard directly from Jesus himself. This is the message we have heard and proclaimed to you. By the way, this message is not invented by himself or the other apostles. Again, he's talking about firsthand information that he received from God. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and we proclaim to you that God is light. If you have your own Bibles, Underline and circle that. This is an imperative truth for walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. You take this out and your way of living will be deceptive. You will be deceived and others will be deceived. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The category of light and darkness is very common in most religions. The scriptures use light and dark to depict God in a bunch of different ways. Metaphorically, physically, light speaks to God's glory. Intellectually, light speaks to God's purity. I'm sorry, intellectually, God's, uh, light speaks to God's knowledge which is pure, but it's knowledge. And morally, light speaks to the purity of God. This statement, God is light, is the essential being of who God is. I don't think in Scripture there is any more statement, this is me personally, that there's any more statement more comprehensive than God is light. There is so much behind these three words. God is light. Light reveals. It is God's nature to reveal himself, and he does. We, when it comes to God, are not left in the dark. Romans 1, every one of us 
is created to have a basic understanding, general revelation of who God is. None of us will be able to say, I didn't know when we stand before God. He's wired it in us. It is his nature to reveal and expose his perfect purity and his unthinkable majesty. God is also light in the sense of possessing an absolute, like I said, moral perfection. He is holy. Intellectually, light is truth, darkness, or ignorance. Darkness is ignorance or error. Morality, light is pure, darkness is evil. God's self-revelation through the law and the prophet is described in the Old Testament in terms of light. We see this in Psalms and Proverbs. These commands, Psalm says, are a lamp. And this teaching is a light. The word of your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Listen, the effect of light is not just to make people see. It does that. But it's also to enable people to walk. It is both. Right conduct, not just clear vision, is the benefit that light gives. It's very important for me to say what I'm getting ready to say. The Bible teaches right here that God does not sin. There's no darkness. He's not capable of sin. It's really important for you and I to grab hold of this truth It's true whether we believe it or not, but we need this, especially in the world we live in today. God does not sin. He cannot sin. He's not held accountable to the measures and laws that you and I are held to. This is what makes him God. And if we're not careful, our experiences, I see this all the time, our experiences end up dictating what we believe about God. And that leads us to disconnect from God when bad things happen to us. Totally understandable, but experience does not dictate truth. God's word dictates truth and helps us move through these experiences. I see this all the time where people break fellowship with God because their experience was bad. And so God must be bad. And it makes total sense to the worldly mind. But when you read the light of Scripture, you see that God's sovereignty and His purpose will come. God is good. God does what He wants, whenever He wants, and whatever He does is good. He is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, verse 6, that we have fellowship with him while we walk, here's that word specifically in Scripture. It means to make one's way. 
its progress, it, it ties into a person's way of opportunities. When opportunities or things come their way, they seize them or act upon them in a defining way. It's how they live. It's how they regulate their life and how they conduct their life. If we say that we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The first step towards fellowship on a deep level that the Bible wants us to have that God created you and I for is the truth about God. The second one is to not lie to others, to speak the truth to others. If we say we have fellowship with him, if we say this to people, but we walk in darkness, we lie. Listen, walking in the light does not mean that we will never sin. Don't misunderstand this. It, it doesn't mean we have a license to sin either. It specifically means we don't hide sin. Ray Ortland says this, walking in the light is an honest relationship with Jesus and an honest relationship with others. And out of this honest relationship with God and this honest relationship with others, we are free to grow. Light, the truth of God, shines. And when we expose the truth of who we are in light of God's purity, in light of his grace, we grow. You take the light away and we know what happens to plants when they don't get light. There's no growth. Light causes growth. Darkness brings death. The way to deep koinonia is the truth about God and not lying to others. But if we walk in light, verse 7, as he is in the light, listen, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to read that again. If you've got that slide, put it up. I want you to see this because this can be a contradiction if it's not understood in Scripture. There is no contradiction in Scripture. Scripture supports itself. But we read here in verse 7 that if we walk in the light as he Jesus, God is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. That makes sense. We have true fellowship because we're all in the light together. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you and I are saved through faith. It is not of our works. You and I cannot earn favor with God by our active participation in church programs or reading our Bible or praying. Those are all very important things. But we are saved by grace through faith alone. Yes, Martin Luther was right when he said, faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. There are actions that follow. But I want to be clear. He's not saying if you're doing the right things and you're walking in the light, I, at first glance it looks this way, 
then you're going to be forgiven. Dr. Harry Ironside tells of his own confusion in this verse, noticing that the cleansing blood of Jesus depends upon our walking in the light. He was reading it as though, as many do, as though it said, if we walk according to the light, the blood of Jesus himself cleanses us from all of our sin. He thought about this. He looked it over and read it carefully and used what he was reading in light of the whole counsel of God. And he noticed it does not say if we walk according to the light. But if we walk in the light, it is an important thing here that we notice that we notice where we're walking. We have come into the presence of God and have allowed the word of God to shine into our sinful hearts. You see, it is possible to walk in darkness thinking that you're all right based on your external activities. From a theological perspective, the difference here is the difference between sanctification, the process of becoming sinless or being transformed into the likeness of God, and justification. Sanctification and justification are two different things. God justifies us. He does the work on the cross. He credits God's righteousness to us. It's not by our works. And then we walk in the light and in fellowship. And this is done in community, in deep relationships where we are honest with each other. The way to deep relationships doesn't happen without the truth of God's purity. It doesn't happen when we lie to others about our hearts and our struggles. And it does not happen, step three, when we lie to ourselves, verses eight and nine. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In the first century when this was written, the Gnostics, those who were pursuing knowledge, were putting forth this false narrative that you could be sinless and that they were sinless because the body was separate from the soul. It was a lie. And so he's refuting this. But this lie has morphed even to today where sin has been redefined as not sin and so today there's this current culture where there is sins that are redefined as not sin this applies if you say and you lie to yourself saying that you have no sin you deceive yourselves and God's truth his light is not in you This is a tricky one. 
churches don't talk about sin. It's like, and this is, you know, we're not going to talk about sin here. We're not going to bring, I'm kidding, by the way. He's like, what? Churches mess this up. I just want you to know, I'm not going to avoid it. We as a congregation in deep fellowship today are not going to avoid the truth about sin. But let me be very clear because churches mess this up. We're not here to make you feel shame. That's not what the gospel does. The gospel is going to bring guilt. We're not going to avoid that sin, yours and mine, put Jesus on the cross. And a gospel that says, you know, it's just all about love is not a gospel. We have to feel the weight of our actions. And if we don't feel the weight of our actions, we will be deceived into thinking that sin is something outside of us. And that is a lie. Sin is not something we do. Sin, the Bible teaches, is who we are. We are sinners. What is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world that he created. It's falling short of his standard and his glory. And by the way, he is the standard of glory and light and purity. And none of us can measure up to that. And that's what makes him God and us not. But sin, our nature, puts us on the throne of our hearts. And even in our good deeds, apart from God, we're sinners. And this sin results in death. I love the way Oswald Chambers talks about sin And he explains it in regards to relationship. He says this, sin is a fundamental relationship. It is not wrongdoing, it is wrong being. True Christianity from the Bible bases everything on the radical nature of sin in our hearts. He goes on to say other religions deal with sins, plural. The Bible deals with sin, singular. The first thing Jesus Christ faced in men was indwelling sin nature. And he goes on to say it is because we have ignored this in our presentation of the gospel message that the gospel has lost its sting and its saving power. I use this illustration all the time, but I talk to parents. Parents, you know, we know that sin isn't always a learned behavior. Right? Like, they, we weren't trying to teach our kids to be sinners. They're just really good at it. We were trying to teach them to be good. We had to work hard at it. It was tiring. You know, I share the story of Zach when he was two and the neighbors were over and Wyatt, who was also two, picked up the remote and he grabs the TV remote and conks Wyatt on the head. The parents looked at me like, beat your kid right now. <laughs> Discipline. What is, and I just looked at, at Greg and Cindy and said, I just want you to know that is not, I am so sorry, that is not a learned behavior. I've never grabbed the remote from Heidi and conked her on the head. If 
we say we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sin isolates us, gets us into our own little circles, and it blinds us. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this. He was a theologian pastor who died in a German concentration camp. In his book, Life Together, he's talking about fellowship in prison. I read the story last week. What is it about true fellowship that comes in the midst of persecution? We see it all throughout scripture and all throughout the history of the bride of Christ. He says, he who is alone in his sin is utterly alone. Sin demands to have a man all by himself. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated this person is, the more destructive they will be in activity. the more deeply destructive they become as they get involved. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness, sin becomes poison. It is in confession that the light of the gospel breaks into darkness and transforms the heart. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse, to purify us from all unrighteousness. It is through confession that we are free from past sins, that we are freed from the present power of sin, and we're free to live life in community, in grace. If we confess, confession frees us. Again, Bonhoeffer talks about this from a prison when he says, in confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. The sin must be brought into the light. A sin concealed separates a person from fellowship. It separates. But sin confessed will help a man or a woman find true fellowship in the family of Christ. You see, Christianity has become me-centered. It's not true Christianity. I hear it all the time. I said it last week where I hear people say things like, I love God and I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. And I understand what they're saying. They don't like the organization, the nonprofit 21st century, and they don't like some of the people and they've been hurt by some of them. I get all that. But the gospel changes your love. It's not about me and Jesus. And I hear that. You know, I'm good with Jesus. People living in contradiction out of community and walking in sin, but God and I are good. We're good. This is not true. The most significant spiritual interactions don't happen in solitude. 
There is a place for your meditation and your private time and reading the word and feasting on the bread of life, Jesus, and having private, but private is fueled by your public relationship in community. Several years ago, I was talking to a friend about this very thing. He was struggling with his sin. He wasn't fully entrenched in community. It was starting to happen, and we were starting to even, he and I, build into a closer relationship where I was sharing with him the things I'm struggling with, and we're interacting, and he finally came to this place. It was here at Sun River in community with people and in fellowship, not just corporate, but koinonia and then personal, and he was struggling with being forgiven. After 15 minutes, I just stopped and said, Do you need to hear that you are forgiven from this? Do you need to hear that God forgives you when you confess? Because you are. You are forgiven. Your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. We opened up scripture in the Old Testament where it says when we confess, he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. Do you know how far that is? That's, that's a long ways. And that he remembers them no more. But if you're in your own silo and you're just doing business with God, you don't get the level of grace and forgiveness that God created you for and died on the cross for. This is meant to be in community. It's not meant to be in isolation. Confession frees you. Many of you know one of my spiritual life practices. It's just become a habit. I just confess my temptations. At first it was hard, especially with Heidi. I'm being tempted, being tempted to look or think at something I shouldn't. But as soon as I confess temptation and or sin, the power of those sins leaves the building. It is an amazing thing created by God that only happens in Christian fellowship. Sin is rendered powerless when it is exposed to the light. I never struggled as a teenager with sin when my mom was watching. God is everywhere all the time. He is outside of time, space, and matter. He's not restricted by any of it. And it is by his grace that he instills in the community Love and freedom through confession. You want to walk in the depths of koinonia? You want to find joy? You want to discern? You want to have assurance of your salvation? It happens in fellowship, in the light of God, not lying to others, not lying to yourself, and step four, not lying about God.
church has done a horrible job of this all throughout history where our lives, the way we walk, is in complete contradiction to God. We walk as hypocrites, and the world sees it and goes, I don't want to go to church. It's full of hypocrites. So they go to the bar where there's no hypocrites. <laughs> that makes sense. But we're supposed to be different. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar And his word is not in us. God does not lie. We do by the way we walk if it's contrary to the way God commands us to. We've got to hold each other accountable to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Because when we don't, our hypocrisy doesn't turn God into a liar. He doesn't lie. It makes him look like a liar to the lost world. How do you walk? In fellowship and in community, how how do you live your life? How do you conduct yourself? The the church is where we're supposed to have our being. Not talking about the building. I'm talking about us together. It's where we're supposed to live and love and worship and serve and build each other up and hold each other accountable. Are you walking in light or are you walking in lies? Light inherently reveals. We know this. The lie conceals. Light shows things the way that they are. A lie creates an alternate reality. It tries to hide what really is. It tries to create something that isn't there. Light creates freedom. When you can see things, you can orient yourself to the reality around you. When you are in the dark, you stumble and you fall. A lie will always enslave you. Lies are exhausting. Lies contradict the very core of God and the universe that he created. God is light. Lies are darkness. God is truth. Lies are untruth. So to believe and live and promote a lie is like running through the world, covering your eyes and ears and yelling, I don't want to see the truth. I don't want other people to see the truth. That's exhausting. Fellowship that this is talking about doesn't exhaust. It's hard. But it brings joy that the world could never even fathom. It brings freedom and prevents sin. It protects and brings discernment. And it gives you assurance So again, how are you living? In the light, you can be fully known. In the light, you won't again stumble. And in the light, we together reflect into a dark world, hope, love, grace, salvation, and eternal life.
we're encouraging you to sign up for one of our small groups. Not as an activity, but as a place where you can begin to grow in your faith and grow in your love for God and love for each other. And we're working on forming those groups all throughout the city. And I'm just going to say this very briefly. These groups are imperative for the life of this church. If we succumb to the culture, our experience will drive us and we will miss the gospel. And if the culture shuts down again, we still must be in community. And that's the infrastructure we're building here at Sun River Church. We love our buildings. We're blessed and we're going to use them as a resource that God has given us. But the real heartbeat is our relationship our deep relationship that we build with each other. We stand as we close worshiping God through music. And as I pray, Lord, you are so good. Thank you for your mercies and for your grace. Lord, we thank you that you left heaven and you infiltrated our world to build relationship with us that you died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and to draw us back to a relationship with you and into deep relationship with each other. We are your church. And we worship you, a holy, pure, righteous, and just God. We pray this in your son's name.